Into the wild I'll go and into the wild I am It's been a while, freedom child Since I left my roots back home Into the wild I'll go Into the wild I am It's been a while, freedom child Since I left my roots back home Welcome to the Free Birth Society podcast. This is a radical space for women who are ready to celebrate their autonomous choices in birth, motherhood, and beyond. Together, we'll learn about wild birth through personal narrative, we'll explore the politics of birth, and we'll analyze everything that relates to our lives as women from a feminist perspective. Here's your host, Emily Saldea. It's been a wild freedom Hi, women. We have a special episode today to celebrate Samhain coming up this weekend. I'm so excited to bring this conversation to you. It's with my dear friend, Kate Varsava, AKA your local midwitch. And the announcement that we have today is that her new course, Womancraft, A Witch's Awakening, is officially available. In this episode, we discuss the witch as the wise woman, birth as a catalyst for remembering and debunking so many patriarchal lies that have been fed to us about our history as powerful women. If you want to reclaim your intuition and connect to your lineage, this episode and our new course are the perfect entry points to open the portal of the witch inside us all. You can get this course at freebirthsocietycourses.com slash womancraft. Enjoy and happy Samhain. All right, we have a fun, special episode for everyone today. I'm here with my friend Kate from Canada. Why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are on this special, special day that we'll be releasing this, which is the the couple of days prior to Samhain. And this is going to be our our witchy Halloween episode. We've never really covered this topic on uh, on the show before. So yeah, I'll pass it to you in a second. But today we're going to be getting into uh, what does it mean? Mean to claim your inner witch. We're going to be introducing and celebrating uh, FBS's new course launch, which is Kate's course, Women Craft, uh, which is Awakening. And yeah, we're going to get into all sorts of interesting stuff around uh, how to integrate your inner witch into modern life and um, kind of the history of Samhain and how we can play with all of this symbology that we're going to talk about uh, this weekend. And yeah, there's so much, so much I want to talk about. So welcome and tell us a little bit about who you are and, and maybe give us a little background of, of um, you claiming your, your inner witch. Thank you. Yeah, I'm so happy to be back here chatting with you this time about you know, this parallel passion of mine, birth, mid- traditional midwifery being one and, and then um, witchcraft and, and women's history being, being this parallel passion of mine. So thanks for, thanks for having me. Um, yes, I'm Kate and 
I'd love to introduce myself through my maternal lineage since we're here talking about ancestors, you know, on the verge of Samhain, talking about um, witchcraft. And I think such a big part of that is is acknowledging our ancestry. And so I come from a long line of uh, Celtic, Celtic witches who lived in Ireland and Scotland and some came from Scandinavia as well as those cultures all mixed. And uh, so, yes, I'm Kate, uh, daughter of Robbie Lee, daughter of Robbie Lee, daughter of Florence, daughter of Almeida, daughter of Amarilla, daughter of Beulah. And like I said, uh, we are Celtic witches. And so, yeah, the lineage that I come from hails from the Celtic Isles. And um, I really was attracted to this um, from a very, very young age. I think a lot of women are, a lot of women are attracted to um, the concept of the witch, the icon of the witch and, you know, potions and spells and divination from a young age. And then it's kind of like um, poo-pooed as being silly or, or magic not being real. Or being straight up evil. Um, or being straight up evil. Yes, absolutely. That's There's that whole piece. <laughs> that whole piece is actually very, very real. Um, very real. So, you know, it gets, it gets beaten out of women, you know, figuratively or literally. And um, luckily it wasn't, luckily it really wasn't, um, you know, pushed out of my life by anyone other than myself, really, from just like pressure of the culture, but I was attracted to this from a very young age and, and started making potions at a young age and um, formed a coven with three older girls when I was like 11 years old. I don't know, how old are you in grade six? Wait, so like, are you making potions of like sticks and Kool-Aid? <laughs> Yeah. Well, I like sticks and leaves and lotions and, and probably Kool-Aid and, you know, stuff like that in any tiny bottle that I could find in my mother's bathroom. Isn't that funny um, how we're drawn to that? So drawn to that. And yeah, like this coven that I formed when I've, okay, I've never seen the movie The Craft, which is probably crazy. On. I'm gonna, I know, I like, I need to watch it. Literally. Watch it. Maybe I'll watch it this year. I gotta watch it. Um, but even at, you know, that age, like grade six, I was like gathering some other, other girls, none of the grade six girls would do it with me. So three grade eight girls formed a coven with me and, you know, very naturally and instinctively, I guess, like I knew there should be four of us and, mm -hmm. you know, we would go out and stand in fields and conjure the elements, you know, right. We would have had so much fun and like play Ouija and like scry and, and, you know, really, um, hey, you don't play Ouija. Yeah, you that's do. true. The we Ouija. were doing <laughs> you channeled, the Ouija. channeled spirits with the Ouija board. Um, yeah, so I was so attracted to it from a young age. And I think, interestingly, I was also very attracted to this, my maternal lineage, that Celtic side, the Irish side of my family. And somewhere around puberty, which I think is very a very interesting piece, I kind of like pushed it away. Totally. And didn't want anything to do with that maternal lineage anymore. You know, I had to like, I had to be my own person and, and like succumb to the pressure of the culture and do all the teenagery things that were like, going on in my hometown. And there were boys to kiss. And like, you know, there were boys to kiss. <laughs> 
I want to go back to, to your maternal line for a second, mm-hmm. because you said that you were from a line of Celtic witches. Does that imply that the women knew that they were Celtic witches? Like, does your mother and grandmother identify as witches? They do. Um, I don't know about my grandmother. Actually, I'm not sure about my maternal grandmother. She actually died when I was quite young. I was only four or five when she died. Um, But my mother very regularly when I'm one of four kids, but I, I have two brothers and a sister. And very regularly when we were growing up, my mother reminded us that we were witches and that we came from witches. Whoa, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. And she always said, but good witches, you know, we were good witches, but yeah, that we came from witches. Wow. That's really yeah. special. Yeah. So yeah. Take us more through, through your personal tale and then, and then maybe we can weave that into, um, I think kind of a cool place to start would be to break down some of this symbolism and this, you know, for, for anyone interested in what we're talking about, we have a little freebie giveaway from Kate, um, that is about reclaiming and kind of a, a, re, a fresh look on this witchcraft symbolism and how it's been, um, yeah, just totally very intentionally and very successfully taken from us and misinterpreted and um, weaponized against us, really. So who are you as you travel through your life coming back into claiming this title and practicing witchcraft again? Yeah, like I said, I kind of pushed it away in puberty and then it really didn't come back until after I had begun my, my um, journey into midwifery. And I think that, you know, midwifery was like a, it was like someone said the word midwife to me at some point in my early twenties. And in that moment, I remembered, oh yes, there are midwives. Oh yeah, I'm a midwife. And then began my journey of, you know, um, finding mentors and gaining some education and some experience in midwifery. And then a few years into that journey, Um, when I totally left the medical system um, for real, like traditional, authentic midwifery, that's really when this path um, into reclaiming um, myself as a witch happened. Um, And I think that's because, you know, birth is that like ultimate raw power where the veils are thin. And then being present in a space like that over and over, really, um, it, it just reminded me and, and reopened. And I see reopened me up because I really think like all of us, all of us women have this in us and it's just been shut down and it's a remembering when it comes back to us. And so being in that world of traditional midwifery, I was reminded of the magic in life and, and the power beyond that veil and um, midwifery being such a huge piece of who some of the witches were that were burned at the stake, of course, um, midwives were a huge part of that demographic as were many other wise women. So, you know, with traditional midwifery then comes back herbalism, then comes back, of course, like healing through food, then comes back psycho-spiritual work. Um, And, you know, from that, then all of a sudden, you know, the meditation practices become more potent and being in nature, we're tuned back into the subtle vibrations of, of the world that are drowned out by city noise really in modern living. Um, 
you know, and then from that, the familiarity with the wild plants and with the wild animals um, and the gathering of women, of course. Um, so all of that kind of came back slowly through those first, those early years of, of my traditional midwifery journey. And it just built and built and built because um, it was like an exponential, you know, accelerated re, re, reacquainting with mm-hmm. with this wise woman way of living yeah so maybe before we talk about the symbology then and what you might have to offer around that maybe we could just I mean you just did a pretty beautiful job of explaining it but what what is a witch what does that mean when we use that word yeah that word's so loaded right and it's also like hot it's hot um, it's like popular right now. So the witch really, and it's in, in her essence though, the witch is the wise woman. The witch is the woman unto herself, the woman who is self-assured, the woman who is self-reliant, the woman who is, um, is connected into her intuition and uses it, uses it, believes in it, trusts it, it guides her life. And the witch is someone who other is a leader in the community is someone who other people turn to for healing, for um, understanding of life's processes and for like a touch of magic, because really um, the witch is a holder of a space of transformation. And that transformation could be, you know, like for me, it started out with births, but then as my journey continued that, that transformation happens so many times throughout life. You know, we can, we can transform just by changing our diet. We can transform by opening up to one herbal medicine. Mm -hmm. We can transform through one breath practice. And when we transform, we're tapping, when we change ourselves, we evolve, we learn, we grow. We're like, we're tapping into some magic there. And so the witch is that icon who holds that space of magic where transformation is possible. And she knows it's possible through our own innate um, capacities, but she has the skill of um, showing people, leading people into that capacity and, and um, bringing them into the space where they believe it's possible and can make it happen. Mm-hmm. So she's, she's a wise woman and she's a holder of um, the, the possibility of transformation. Yeah. Yeah. Like a catalyst for magic. Mm-hmm. And so much of the magic is how to, wield nature right how to work with what is here work with the seasons work with the plants work with like you said the the rebirth you know the life cycle and finding not just the wisdom in it but how to actually use it right and be with it yeah yeah how to totally embody it in this life and um, because we like, we are a universe unto ourselves. So we contain all this stuff that we see in nature, you know, the, all of, if we're looking at the elements, you know, the elements, the wind, the water, the fire, the, um, the earth, like the spirit, we have all of these elements in us, but then we get, we can see it reflected outside of us as well. And so the witch, she knows how to, um, you know, weave metaphor, for understanding of ourselves as a whole being as well. And she understands those reflections in nature and for women, especially, this is why like, you know, in the witch trials and we, we go, I go a lot more into this in the course for sure in much greater depth, but um, definitely men were murdered in the burning times, but the reason that it was 
mostly women is because women are innately more tuned into this through our biology because we are cyclical beings through our cycles and because we give birth we go to the brink and come back we're holders of life and death and so of course there are wise men out there and some men were killed in the burning times and some men are more in tune with this stuff than others and they can hone it but women women have a a dense capacity for for um for understanding our cyclical nature and natural being um, that's like very easily embodied because Mm -hmm. of our biology. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yogi Bhajan used to have a famous quote that said, uh, women are 16 times more intuitive than men. And I just thought that was just such a funny, like obviously true, but a funny, very specific equation. Very specific. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, because a lot of my awakening happened through Kundalini yoga. And and I have a similar story where I, you know, when I was a child, I had so many experiences with spirits and, and sometimes dark spirits and scary ones. I used to have this one kind of shadow that used to visit me at night in this one specific house I lived in. And, and it, it finally occurred to me to tell it to go away. And I never told anyone about that. You know, I was going to Catholic school, my mother's Irish Catholic, and um, it just was very obvious, I guess, in my household that this wasn't to be talked about. Um, or somehow, you know, I caught that I did not have a mother walking around saying we're witches. Uh, I wish I had that's real sounds so cool. Um, <laughs> anyway, and so yeah, I used to have these experiences with energies and and get feeling like things would get stuck on me and and yeah especially in the nighttime you know feeling stuff that sometimes felt dark and scary and around third grade I started to um try on that I could actually like talk to it and I remember this one specific kind of shadow thing um that would hang below I had this aqua like seafoam fan and it would just like hover And yeah, one night I just was like, you know what? Go away. I don't want you here. And it was like, and it never came back. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. But I didn't have anyone to like talk about this with. And so same similar stuff around middle school, doing the seances, doing the Ouija boards, watching the craft, doing the calling in the corners, learning about paganism, doing ceremony. And then I just lost it for years and not for, I guess, that, that long, because I started doing Kundalini at 17. And, and why I'm bringing this up was that for me, I remember having this realization throughout just getting so deep with Kundalini yoga, where the mantras, like realizing the mantras were spells. And when I realized the mantras were spells, it like, opened my mind back to my childhood. And so I started to have a very devoted practice of working with the spells, you know, and they don't call them spells in Kundalini yoga, they call them mantras, but it's the same fucking thing. And so I used to play and like go around Los Angeles and like be working with certain mantras, you know, shooting them from my third eye to get people to do stuff or to get people to look up or give me things. And I was like, orchestrating magic throughout my day. And it was just so fun. And I got so lit up by it and the Kundalini yoga, you know, then, like you said, then in walks birth and I start portal dwelling and I start learning about the veil. And, you know, I had a longer, more challenging time putting that all together than you did because I worked in the system. And so it really, 
I didn't really figure out that space holding as a part of witchcraft until I stopped attending with medical providers. And then when I became the woman that was holding the, the real full space in the room, yeah, then I started to get it, but that took like 10 plus years. So anyway, right. yeah, I really relate to that journey. And I think a lot of women will that listen to this podcast, right? Because so many oh, yeah. of our friends today are like, fuck, I wish I knew you. I was trying to tell you all the neighborhood kids to, you right? know, yeah, totally. Imagine but, the power of all of us together. Right. And women you know, I firmly believe that women are psychic, you know, and perhaps all humans are. Um, but, but women are very finely attuned to their environment and to the energetics of not just the people, but the animals and the plants. And like you said, you know, we get it dumbed down in us, we get it numbed out and, and everything, you know, in our society seeks to do that. And then perhaps our own hormones in puberty, I don't know, but, um, you know, we, part of, of course, what we're going to touch on in this episode is the very real historical context for beating the witch, witch out of us and the fear that, um, I think many of us have to contend with around claiming this in the public sphere and outing ourselves, um, in a really authentic way to our community. And even working with this word brings up a lot. It really, like you said, is a very loaded, loaded word. And it's, yeah, such a personal relationship to it. And there's so much freaking history, both you and I are Irish Catholic descendants. And so there's a lot in all of that. Yeah. So let's get into some of the symbology. I think that would be really really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking, you know, my mom reminding me that I was a witch, also Irish Catholic, which I think is so interesting. I do think um, um, that's an interesting piece in and of itself. The, the hidden, um, the personas that, that people, that oppressed people have taken on throughout history to escape oppression and kind of hiding under, um, under the identities of, of whoever's in power in order to pass. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think the Catholic community, the Catholic community, the Catholic church, you know, institution, you know, evil, whatever, you know, evil fucking institution of spirituality, religion, evil, but doing all kinds of bad things. But then the, the community that is there and that is kind of like passing under the identity of, of Catholic is very interesting. And Ireland is a really interesting case study of that because hello, Celtic paganism, you know, like European, um, European witchcraft. So central. much mysticism. Yeah. So much mysticism. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. So much magic going on. Um, and very Catholic. Yeah. <laughs> covered up being veiled in that Catholic. And I think especially in the, um, you know, the takeovers that have happened um, by religious institutions throughout history, a lot of symbology has been skewed. And the the symbols are powerful and um, they're, they're given power by people working with them properly and understanding them properly and, and integrating them into their day-to-day life. And so then like, you know, the miseducation and misinformation around the symbology that goes out from, you know, the powers, the, the religious institutions, which controlled the education system, which controlled everything, 
that skews the power and takes away the power that those symbols hold. So I think, yeah, reclaiming these symbols is, is a really powerful thing to do to like find that power inside the self. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When it like demonizes it, there's this real, yes. right? Like if you think of any kind of Halloween movie, you know, any, anytime media depicts witches, they are so ugly they're covered in warts yeah. and stuff. They have this pointy hat. They ride on a broom. They're, they're largely dangerous to children. Uh, it's like literally the exact opposite of a wise woman. They're like yeah. the shadow of a wise woman. It would be like the literal opposite, right? A scary old lady that can use dark magic to hurt kids. Like that's the narrative. That's the narrative of a witch. Yeah. (laughs) It's so wild. So yeah. What do you want to share around like some of your transformational rememberings of, of like some symbols? Um, some of the symbols that I think are especially, you know, you mentioned the broom and that's like, especially um, connected to the witch, of course, she's riding on her broom. And I really love the, the, like the very practical symbology actually that, that links the witch to the broom. And the broom is a symbol of the house, the home. Um, the broom is a symbol of cleansing and of clearing a space and preparing a space with intention. And, um, that is it, th- the fact that that then became, you know, um, attached to this like evil woman who's going to eat your children is really, it's kind of funny to me, you know, because like it's, it's literally sweeping the floors of your home and creating a welcoming space. And um, there is some other like, and the householder, the home holder, you know, the like, welcome, honey, welcome, honey, come and have a pot of soup um, rather than like, you know, you are the soup. Jump in the cauldron. You are the soup. And then, like riding away. <laughs> yeah. Like maniacal, scary laugh. Exactly. I mean, maybe she had a hilarious joke. She probably did. So you were probably laughing hysterically. But um, a really interesting um, bit of history about the riding the broom comes from um, pagan traditions around um, harvest planting season in the spring and then harvest season again when women householders who had a vested interest in having a, a good yield from their crops would um, would kind of like ride on their brooms, would be on their brooms and would jump and to encourage it was a it was a ritual and encouraging the plants to grow and encouraging um, an abundant um, bounty. Yeah. So, you know, there were these moments when there were women on brooms kind of like maybe some were really good jumpers and it kind of looked like they were flying, but it came from this, you know, um, peasant, peasant traditions out in the fields during harvest seasons, honoring the cycles of the year and then got skewed into, you know, evil women riding around. (laughs) What about the pentagram? Oh yes. The pentagram is such an interesting one. And I really love it because it's, it's this very like whole symbol and, um, the witch, of course, is, is um, understands the complexity of nature and the complexity of living this physical life and, and understands the whole and sees the whole picture. And so the pentagram is, um, you can picture it, I'm sure, for anyone who's listening, it's a star surrounded by a circle. And so the star in and of itself um, 
is, is representative of a union between sacred masculine and sacred feminine. The sacred feminine piece are, are, the, are three of the points. The triple goddess is represented. And then the other two points are the duality of the sacred masculine and come from the, the green man who's celebrated, um, celebrated at Beltane in the spring. And then sometimes he's the called the Holly King at winter solstice. So celebrated again in the winter. But he's a very dual creature and he has two horns because he's a wild beast living in the woods. And so the two horns and his very dual nature combined with the triple goddess, the three forms, the maiden, mother and crone, um, give you five points, which gives you a completion. So the, the union gives you a completion and the circle around it encases that hole in a sacred space. So the circle is um, a symbol of protection and a symbol of wholeness and a circle of a completion of a cycle. And so the pentagram is this actually is actually this beautiful representation of um, protection, of wholeness, of of the union of sacred masculine and feminine, of fertility of life, and then was skewed and was, you know, completely usurped actually by religious institutions and made evil, made, you know, actually was told to be a symbol of evil mm -hmm. when it is actually a symbol of protection and of health and fertility. Yeah. That's so wild. Yeah. So wild. You know, it's usually any like witchcraft movie, right? It's like burning pentagram devil worship. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there is, I think also there is some interesting, you know, if you want to like take a deep dive into magic, you know, you like really see the magic and you get into this. Um, it's worth noting that of course those vibrations that the witch is tapping into, like you were talking about, you know, walking around LA Kundalini queen, like you're like mantraing and vibing out exactly what you want to come in. And it's totally the same thing. Like that's the witch. She knows, she understands the vibrational nature of existence and she understands how to work with it and how to manipulate it for good. And evil there is like vibrational force can be manipulated for for like you know bad purposes for sure and um the pentagram is an interesting one because also in that you know if you can picture the five pointed star the the top point is spirit and the other points are um the the four elements and matter physical the physical realm and matter and so it's also a representation of spirit rising above physical form and matter and spirit being um really the place to tap into and then really if you you know if you're into dark magic and if you're not educated on all of this stuff or if this has been skewed and like you know your remembering of what it represents and how to use it has been taken away it can be used for dark forces because flipped upside down, it is tapping into the, the darker shadow side of vibrational manipulation potentials. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I mean, if you're going to open the, the portal into working with all of this, you got to be real flipping clear which side you're asking to play with. Yes. And when you start to tap in, yeah, you know, you, you're going to, you might get answers and you might get communications coming through. Like, I think it's so interesting. Children have so many spirit encounters because like, we're so open and clear as children before we get like bogged down by the, you know, crushing culture around us. And 
because children are so clear, like spirits and other entities, you know, whatever they are, whatever your belief is around it, come through for children. And then again, if you're like, you know, you're working on your, you're working on your mantras, you're working in your meditations, you're working to clear yourself. Um, entities can come through absolutely and messages can come through so being clear about why we're tapping into these practices and what our intentions are that's very important when we're working mm -hmm. with vibrational um potentials yeah not just being like an open no yes. boundary yeah open vessel no way that circle you around the recommend boundaried <laughs> yeah totally so do you have any particular thoughts around like protecting your children as these energetic beings like I feel so excited to bring conversation you know as my children age you know that that to bring conversation into the household around this stuff but I wonder yeah, I wonder what that would look like to help facilitate protection of their spirits and their openness as well. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. I think, um, I mean, there's a whole piece on like what the culture of parenting does to us as children and how we can, we can really honor them under like we can honor them. And by honoring them, they learn how to honor their own boundaries because like, they're so tuned in, you know, you like my three-year-old will just be like, no, stop you know like she has no problem like expressing what she wants and where her boundaries are and then it's really like my job to not be like fuck your boundary how dare you you need <laughs> yeah. to respect me <laughs> respect your mother and do what I I mean sometimes you know I am like totally. you it's important to do what your mother asks you <laughs> literally literally the other day Suni I don't know what I was saying to her but Suni literally just put her fingers on my lips and just went, um, she just stopped me mid-sentence and went, I wish you'd stop talking. <laughs> I was like, got it. I'm going to leave. <laughs> right. All right. Yeah, totally. Right. I mean, I think, I think for me, if I had just like been able to talk about it with someone and like, you know, maybe I would have liked to bring in a little ceremony or had some direction. I mean, obviously I figured it out, but I do think it's probably the case that part of why part of why I didn't deal with this for years was because I didn't have the guidance or the protection. Absolutely. And I really relate. And I mean, since this is like, you know, sow and podcast, I think like ghost stories are always fun to tell in the dark season. And I also had a lot of, a lot of spirit encounters um, as a child. And then again, as a teenager, and I really didn't same. I didn't know how to do it was very scary. I didn't know how to integrate it. I didn't know really know how to deal with it. And um, it also for me actually was Kundalini yoga and having like a dedicated Kundalini yoga practice that like, I think upgraded my nervous system to mm -hmm. be able to understand those encounters. Yeah. And then I had a, a couple of encounters with that kind of like upgraded nervous system. Mm -hmm. And that for me was so healing in my journey to understand what I had experienced as a child. Exactly. And I didn't, even though my mom was like, you know, we're witches and we're good witches. She wasn't, she was like, yeah, we see ghosts. And I talked to my dead mother, but she, we didn't like have regular conversation about that, like integrated those experiences for me. And it wasn't until really I was much older that I was able to understand those experiences. And like, 
unpack some of that fear around it because we do kind of we have this like tendency as humans to like everything behind the veil someone else said this and I think it was so brilliant and I don't remember exactly who it was um so I'm sorry if you're out there and you happen to be listening you're brilliant I love you but someone said um everything beyond the veil us humans we tend to either fear it or want to or worship it and so I think like understanding those experiences allowed the fear to dissipate and like there to not be a need to worship it either and to just like understand it as an experience of the complexity of this life this human existence and and like a bit of tapping into that magic that magic yeah totally yeah and it did then make like for spirit encounters that I had in my adult life it was much easier to be like I acknowledge your presence mm-hmm. and I ask you to leave goodbye. And they, they take off, you know, like generally it's, it's a pretty rare that there's like a purely nefarious spirit out there who wants to torment, you know, like for the no, most, those part, fuckers are all still alive. Those fuckers are around, you know, they're doing their stuff from this side. So from the other side, if we, you know, acknowledge, there's just like, there's a desire for points of connection, I think. Totally. And, but and you're confusion. also, you're you're not like a victim when you are yeah. in your power so you are deciding what's allowed and what's not and getting rid of stuff and you know that's what's helped me so much and and you know working with ayahuasca has taught me so much around what it means to you know for lack of a better phrase like be a light being and be oriented towards the light of of love and god consciousness you know and realizing again and again as I worked with darkness and as darkness has attempted to infiltrate me or my life you know really realizing on a deep level that light always wins it's set up that way and so where there is light there cannot be dark if you walk into a dark room and turn a flashlight on now there's light you know for just a practical example but anytime in in my ceremonies that I have felt darkness come in which is really scary and mm-hmm. yeah very freaky and and I can't really put words to it you know I've been able to access that and and remember that I'm in charge of my reality so to speak and so I could send it away and I could chant at it or I could pray at it or I could just tell it to get the fuck out of the room and it literally always has I've never been taken over by it and it feels weaker than me you know and and that that has carried me through so many different aspects of of my life to turn to what does it mean to like be in my light and and that requires on a on a a social level that requires me knowing how to speak truth, you know, that requires a lot of courage. It requires not hiding. It requires, you know, spiritual practice. It requires a relationship to nature. It requires, requires boundaries and, and, um, you know, ridding myself of toxicity. And, and, you know, I think of it as this like mesh net, like my auric field is like a mesh net and, and anywhere where there's gaps of weaknesses is where the darkness can come in. Right. And so how do you have a practice essentially of taking responsibility to tighten that shit up? And that could look like altars and a spiritual practice that could look like a nature based practice. It could look like divination. It could look like women's circles or some, you know, I mean, it could look like so many different things, which Mm -hmm. is one of the, so one of the things I'm so excited about with your course, because 
it is, it is the like entry point for so many women who are resonating with what they're, with what we're saying and are like, oh yeah, that was totally me. And I don't know how to open that door again, or there might be fear or resistance or patriarchy in your ear. And maybe we should just take a moment to talk about your course because yeah, that's what it is. It's, it's, it's called woman craft, a witch's awakening. And the whole point of why you wanted to make this and why I then wanted to support it through Freebirth society is, is because there are so many women who know and are aching to connect with their witch, you know, i.e. wise woman, i.e. powerful woman, i.e. medicine woman. And there are very tangible, real ways to reframe so much of the historical context and how to look at your past spiritual experiences and call in to your life right now. Um, yeah, a practice of this. So tell us a little bit about, I guess, like the syllabus and, and what, what women are going to get out of this course. Sure. Absolutely. And just before I say that, like, there's a, there's a reason that, that we, that women have a hard time speaking their truth, that women have a hard time standing in their power, that women have a hard time trusting their intuition. And that really is the witch wound. And um, I mean, I guess that's, I set myself up for a perfect segue um, because that's what the course is about. Really the course is about healing that witch wound. And it's about remembering because in order to heal, we, we need to first remember what happened and where we've come from and why we are in this current context. So we, in the course, we dive into um, a, a herstory of women. Um, I, I focus on the European burning, burning times, but you know, if you're interested in exploring burning times glo globally, you know, this is not this didn't only happen in Europe. It happened on a very large scale in Europe in our quite recent history, um, but it, it still takes place today and it has happened all over the world. So we dive into remembering first where we've come from and what happened. And then we come into reclaiming um, language and um, and reclaim and understanding our intuition. So practices to start to feel to embody what intuition feels like, what intuitive messages feel like in our body for understanding. And then we practice that so that we can trust it. And then we start to work with that intuition and work with um, that knowing that's inside of us all of the time. But there are these cool practices, you know, divination being one of them that can tap us into getting answers from our specific answers from our intuition, not just the intuition that pops up like, ooh, danger, um, ooh, boundary, you know, not just that intuition that keeps us in like, keeps us surviving, but the intuition that really like gives us the deep answer that's true to our soul. So then we dive, once we remember where we've come from and we start to trust our intuition, reclaim that personal power, then we start to get into divination practices and the practices that tap us in to hearing answers. And then we talk about um, once we've worked on that kind of like personal practice, then we get into how we integrate this into community life because we can be solo witches and there is a lot of power in that. Absolutely. But there's also a lot of power in gathering with other women who identify in this way and um, in, in 
and combining our intentions because that vortex of power is just like, it's unstoppable. That's why women have been separated very systematically. That's why we have been- There's no village. That's why there's no village. That's why- Why we're all separate. (laughs) That's why we're all separate. That's why we live in the nuclear family units. That's why institutional religion came in and like outlawed nature-based spirituality. The reason is all those things are a source of power. Yeah, and keep women locked up in the home with no power resources. Otherwise, patriarchy would crumble. Otherwise, it crumbles. There's no stopping a woman in her power, much less a group of women in their power. Like, watch it, you know? So, yeah, we kind of, we move through remembering um, and then developing the self and developing the self even more and then working together in community. Awesome. And then we all get together and watch the craft for a sleepover. (laughs) Yeah. Mine was okay. When I was really young, Hocus Pocus, that was like my favorite. (laughs) And then practical magic. Have you seen practical magic? Yeah. I never got into that one. I don't know why. Maybe I'll revisit it this season. That's a good one. Yeah. Good one. (laughs) So, okay. So let's talk about Samhain. What is it? Mm. And what do we, what should we know as witches about it? And about Halloween and like, why did Halloween get taken over? And what do you want to tell us about that? Samhain, oh my God, just like the witch's new year. This is like high, holy celebration, really. So Samhain, um, and there are other ways you can say it. Samhain would be the Irish way of saying it. Um, Samhain in Scotland, Savin. Um, it's, it's said all kinds of ways. And, um, but Samhain is how I say it. That's the Irish way. And it means end of summer. So Samhain is the end of, we've gone through high summer, late summer, we've gone through harvest season. Um, The final stores have been put away for winter. And now everyone gets to kick their feet up for a little bit and enter this darker half of the year. Um, So Samhain means end of summer and it is the end of the wheel of the year. Um, So in the wheel of the wheel of the year um, doesn't start on January 1st, um, but that is, you know, that's an important time in the wheel of the year, but the wheel of the year actually starts the day after Samhain. So that's the beginning of a new cycle. And Samhain is actually that eve before the beginning of the new cycle. So that's why it's celebrated on October 31st, that last day of October, before we go into the new year. And um, pagan high holy days are always celebrated from like midnight the night of you know the night before actually usually sundown the night before and then through the next day so that's why the celebrations really kick up in the dark on October 31st and um, at that end of the year and entering the dark season this is a time when um, traditionally people made gave thanks and were grateful and honored their ancestors and honored where they came from. And it was noted as the time of the year that where the veils are the thinnest. So the veil meaning that kind of like, um, that shroud between like our physical reality and the spirit world or the other world. Um, at, at Samhain, that's when that's the thinnest. So we can tap into the other world and we can communicate with our ancestors and we can commune with the spirits on the other side. And, and we really dive into the darker parts of ourself as well. You know, it's like outside of us, but also inside of us. 
So we also tune into our intuition deeply for what we need going into this next cycle, what we can release going into this new cycle, what we want to cultivate going into this new cycle. And it's not the only time of the year when the veil is the when the veil is thin. Beltane is also a time of the year in the springtime when the veil is is thin and the other world can be tapped into um, in a different way. But it's it's the time of year when it's the thinnest because it's a bit dark. And so that's why um, ancestry is a big theme around um, at this time of year. And that's I think like that's the segue into like death, you know, that like kind of takeover of like the death as a as a dark thing at Halloween and the you know the skeletons and all that stuff um <laughs> and day of the why. dead yeah day of right. the dead that's another yeah that's another celebration of honoring ancestry, ancestry and yeah. because like in you know in the witch's worldview death is only a rebirth you know it's not it's not finite that's for sure it's not final it's just a part of the natural order of things of birth growth decay, degeneration, death, you know, decay and fertilization so that rebirth can take place. And, um, and you know, as I've been reading this um, matriarchal societies book, do you have that too? I don't read? have it, but you said it's great. I got to find it. Really you got to read it. Um, yeah. As I've been reading this book about matriarchal societies, past and present, um, one of the common denominators is the spiritual practice of honoring ancestors and their take on death. And I'm going to do my best to, <laughs> to, to, get, to do this justice. But one of the things that has struck me about learning about historical matriarchal societies and their spirituality is that part of why women were centered, large, large part actually of why women were revered was not that they were the birthers, but that they were the rebirthers. Mm -hmm. And so ancestors are an integrated part of matriarchal societies the world over. Um, and, and it was believed that ancestors would return through the children. And so they would even often look for commonalities in the children's features uh, for proof of that, right? So it wasn't that they believed like, oh, Grandpa Joe is now my son, Charlie. You know, it wasn't that direct and it wasn't to ever be, you know, perceived that way, but rather the, you know, the spirit of the, um, of the ancestor is, is continually rebirthing through the women. And so I thought that was really cool because the, the men were honored as, um, Oh, I wonder, I wish I could remember the exact word, but they were, they, they could transform life into death through hunting. And so they were honored as um, powerful in that way to, to, yeah, turn life into death, to be, um, you know, food for the communities, but the women were rebirthers. They could turn life into death, into life, into death, into life, into death, into life, mm. and, and to continually bringing the ancestors here. And so even you get into, you know, through the, the largely Christian, you know, patriarchal lens, it's often said that matriarchal societies were um, barbaric and that they did human sacrifice and all of this like stuff that sounds really crazy for us to hear about. But as I've been learning about it through this textbook, um, yes, there was human sacrifice, but it was like the highest honor to sacrifice, be chosen. It was all voluntary, which is never mentioned in the patriarchal lens, but yeah. it was completely voluntary and it was an honor to be chosen as a sacrifice, but there was no fear in it because of course he was coming back. And so they would sacrifice 
um, a male and then later it would turn it turned into being an animal a male animal but for some period of time it was a male in the community who voluntarily gave his life it was not um, usually someone who had children although fatherhood was like largely unimportant in in many of these societies which is pretty interesting but anyway mm -hmm. that uh, yeah the part about ancestry just really struck me because growing up in a Catholic in a Catholic household and feeling pretty disconnected from my lineage for all sorts of different reasons, but just really not being raised in a family or society that ancestry mattered yeah. beyond death. And I know that it gets deeper than that because some, some lineages of Christianity actually find that quite evil to honor dead or to bring the dead in and all of that stuff, which yeah. that was never like outright said to me, but regardless, um, I have felt a great disconnect from my Irish and Welsh, you know, and some, some German ancestry, um, and almost the sense of like, I'm not allowed to have it. And, mm -hmm. you know, we've mentioned this before we were recording, but I wanted to just kind of bring in that, that conversation around connecting to our ancestors. And I know that this is something that many women I know crave and are very interested in, but don't know where to start. And yeah, I would just love to hear you talk on that. And I was further inspired reading about in this book that women-centered, women-led communities, uh, ancestors were not just a part of their spirituality. It was a central integrated focus um, of, of like worldwide of societies all over the world that this was an, an innate aspect of spirituality when women lead. And so hearing yeah. it through this context of, you know, what it means to be a witch and when wise women are leading a community, of course, being with the thinness of the veil and being with the ancestors. Um, and of course, in, in the matriarchal lineage, you know, having the ancestors return again, again, through these women of their community, um, that just like got me really excited. Like, what would that be like? What would that feel like to have that kind of a arena to play with? Oh, it's so powerful. And um, that's why it's, that's why we work with the ancestors when the veil is the thinnest, because the ancestors have wisdom to give us and they, they need to be honored um, because, you know, they paved the way for us getting to where we are and they have wisdom to share with us, even, you know, beyond their physical death. So that's why, we, we tap into the ancestors and such a, you know, that's like a high focus of Samhain, but ancestor, the honoring of ancestors absolutely would be a part of, you know, the whole year, the whole, the spirit, the daily spiritual practice. But then at Samhain, you know, there's this extra opportunity to like really hear the messages loud and clear. And that's why we take the opportunity to honor them and, and invite them right to the table and hear them. When we tap into our our ancestors as well then we receive our own lineage and we we have messages on um on our own you know an authentic inherited spiritual practice i think as well which is really important for today's context of a lot of women feeling like they don't get to tap into their ancestors or they don't like get to have a spiritual practice or they don't you know other than maybe christianity that they inherited but um, like a really simple way to invite the ancestors in and, and to start to form a relationship with ancestors is just to bring pictures of them onto an altar. 
So you mentioned having altars before and altars absolutely are so important. You know, they're portals in, in your home, around your land, in places that you visit. They're, they're these like physical embodiments of intentions that we set. And they're also portals to place our intentions to be supported and to release at and um, to dive into ourselves. Like it's, it's a gateway where we can go, we can look at it and, and be transferred to a place of being able to dive into ourselves in a deeper way outside of the context of our day-to-day of our day-to-day doings, you know. So just integrating um, pictures of ancestors, loved ancestors, um, ancestors you're interested in onto the altar is a really simple way of bringing them in. And then another thing that I really love to do at Samhain um, gatherings is to, um, always when, whenever we feast, you know, we have a ritual and then we feast afterwards, we always make a plate for the ancestors first. And we, um, we place on Samhain would place that plate for the ancestors on the doorstep so that they know that they're welcomed and they know that they'll be honored and that they're provided for. So I think like, um, physical acts of, of, um, of like claiming our ancestors as being a part of our life, not just a part of our past, but a part of our present life is a really great way to welcome them in and to start to form a relationship with them. And then when we start to form that relationship with our ancestors, we tap into our lineage and we tap into our personal history and we tap into where our people came from and we tap into what their spiritual practices were because everyone all over the world, you know, like you said, ancestor worship matriarchal societies this is global this was not like oh there were some in africa and some in asia and some in north america this is this was global this was just the way of the world before it was derailed by power power hungry people um so when we tap into our ancestry and our own lineage we can we can start to familiarize ourselves with the spiritual practices that we come to and if there's any feeling you know cultural heated cultural context right now of like you're not allowed only so and so is allowed uh, cultural appropriation all of this stuff going on a lot of people feel like oh I'm not allowed and then cut themselves off from having a spiritual life which is so sad because everyone has ancestors everyone comes from a people who had earth-based spiritual practices everyone everyone's ancestors were oppressed at some time by someone every everyone has a right to um to to spirit and to accessing their own spirit and to having a spiritual practice and and if we want to do that in an authentic way tuning into our own lineage is a great you know that's the way to go that's the way to find um find the practices that that will probably resonate with us and i mean i think practices from other cultures resonate as well I really I really am a believer of that that like spirituality isn't necessarily only for some people and not for others it's for everyone and what resonates I think can be practiced in a way that honors the practices um but our ancestors will lead us to you know the practices that we come from and those are a great access point yeah I'm feeling so much curiosity around like who were the women of my lineage before Christianity, mm. you know? Like, yeah, welcome them at the table, you know? Like the next time you're at your altar, yeah. the next time you're holding circle, like ask them who they, 
who they are, welcome them into the space. I really like, I speak it out loud in a circle. I speak out loud. All well ancestors are welcome here, especially my maternal lineage. And I name their names as far back as I know them. Um, but I, I, I put out there, I say out loud, all the rest of you out there, all you well ancestors, you know, the midwives I came from, the witches I came from, the healers I came from, um, you are all welcome here. And I want to hear what you have to say. Wow. That's so interesting to like observe what's happening for me. (laughs) Like I can feel so much like resistance and fear and excitement. And yeah, I know that I've cut off a huge part of this in myself around, yeah, making up a story that like, because I come from these patriarchal oppressive uh yeah christian people which actually may or may not even really be true right like what do i know Mm -hmm. a couple generations back like i know the names of my maternal line pretty far back because they were all catherine (laughs) rock on i'm a catherine too very very (laughs) to remember it's like catherine kathleen it's like kathleen kathleen catherine 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 kathleen catherine it's like that for a long way back. Um, but anyway, but that would still be under the, the Christian time frame. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I, I'm interested in exploring, like I've made up the story that they, they don't, they must not have anything to offer me because they were, um, of this way that I am not, you know, but that's not true. Yeah. And I'm just making that up. And I, I think I've felt, yeah, a lot of fear or, or resistance for sure to opening up what's there, but I know there's so much curiosity. And I just got such a beautiful image of creating a living altar on our land next door where, you know, the women come and, and I hadn't even thought about that of a, of an altar that's actually outside in nature. And like, of course, of course Mm -hmm. I can do that. And it doesn't have to just be other places that I've seen it. Like, of course I can do this. And yeah, that feels exciting and interesting to. Those are the original altars, right? Like the original altars, wells, like well springs where water came out of Mm -hmm. the earth, you know, a a merging of elements, oak trees, Mm -hmm. um, hawthorn trees, holes, trees with holes in them, trees that were woven together, Mm -hmm. like large rocks. Like those were the original altars. They were all in nature that's what the, this book is talking a lot about that right now around anywhere there's headwaters and where particularly where there's two waters coming together, there would Mm -hmm. always be a shrine. And yeah, like, Oh, it's so freaking cool. Oh, it's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, Celtic tradition, like a Hawthorne tree, um, next to an ash tree with an Oak tree nearby. And there's a spring coming out of the earth. It's like, Ooh, fairy portal you know you go there you're very respectful you don't want to mess with the fairies but yeah. you go there and ma- magic is gonna happen this yeah. is ultimate ultimate energies coming together love it all right cool I love it I'm inspired awesome <sighs> yeah that's good okay so today is the day that Kate's course is out on the date of of the release of this podcast so Womancraft, a witch's awakening, and there's so much more in this course beyond what we covered today. You can go get it now at freeversocietycourses.com. And yeah, thank you so much, Kate. And oh, I've had to say your Instagram because it's so perfect with 
<laughs> with all of this, why don't you go ahead and say any, any other places you want people to find you at besides buying your amazing course? Yeah, buy the amazing course. It's awesome. And already there's so much inspiration for a part two, of course, because there's, you know, there's so many depths to go to. Um, and you can find me at yourlocalmidwitch.com and you can find me on Instagram at yourlocalmidwitch. And if you happen to live in Nova Scotia, you can find me somewhere in the mo in the woods, communing <laughs> with spirits, gathering with women, making potions, <laughs> potions <laughs> gathering herbs. Carrying a baby on my back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much. Thank Happy Samhain. Happy Samhain. Blessed New Year. Thank you for having me. And that's it for today, my sisters. Check out everything we do, including one-on-one -on -one and group coaching. Learn about our private membership, in-person retreats, and more on freebirthsociety.com. Our online courses are on freebirthsocietycourses.com, including our flagship course, The Complete Guide to Free Birth. Don't miss the Radical Birthkeeper School if you're ready to become the authentic midwife that women are searching for. Together we rise and the revolution starts inside each of us. I'll leave you with our Free Birth Society theme song, Wild Woman by Aruba Red. I honor you for the wisdom you held, the ancient traditions of plant medicine and womb magic. I feel the spirit of the ancestors as I place my hands upon my belly. This sacred portal will be honored. Eons upon light beams of survival withstanding the eradication of our power by design. I will not allow the separation of our young to be forced upon me. My sisters will no longer birth in captivity. The picket line redefined from burning our wild women to paralyzing us and drugging our babes. Strapped down in a clinical white bed, drying up the milk from our breasts, keep your needles. My family will never again be doomed to chase those dragons or your poor.